we've always asked this, what if, what if we could do it like this? What if we could leverage this across, you know, front to back? What if we could, what if we, what if, what if? It's very timely now because the what if is actually becoming true. And I think it's time for customers, you know, to really take a look at this again. If this, if this seemed daunting or impossible in the past, intractable, pick your, pick your adjective. What's possible now is vastly different than what was possible even maybe two or three years ago. I'm Steven Spears, and this is The Future. The Future. The Future of Customer Engagement and Experience Podcast. Welcome to the FCEE Podcast, brought to you by thefutureofcommerce.com. Head over to the site to find everything you need to know about customer experience trends and topics. And when you get done with this episode, head to the show notes to find our article of the week, handpicked by us here on the podcast to give you a insight into what might be some good reading for this week. We're back with part two of our conversation with Tom McKee, former CIO and manufacturing executive at Kenametal, who is now doing consulting and an SAP advisor. Lawrence Matusek, CTO of eLogic, responsible for the SAP practice. And Liz Duggan, who heads up the commerce practice over at Smith, a digital consultancy. If you haven't listened to the first part already, pause it right here because you're going to have a lot of context you're going to need some background on. Go listen to that episode and then come back, hit play right about now and jump in where the conversation continues on what important piece you may already have waiting in your business to allow your buyers and sellers to quickly create personalized offers no matter how complex your offering is. Now, back to our conversation. And, and I think it's fascinating, too, that that up until this point or really recently, you know, we put all this effort into securing the customer and going and finding and marketing to them. And we we get we roll them up the hill here and then we get to this teetering point of now they're they're interested in buying. They need a quote. You know, this is where we can really show them. Can we meet you at what you're looking for in your price? And that can either teeter into an order, which then, of course, you got a manufacturer. It gets complicated again or if it's not good, you kind of push them back down the hill and you've got to win their trust to get them back up to a quote. Uh, but up until this point, it was hard work, really hard work to get that quote together. And then we go build, whereas you would really want to spend more time now on that. How do I make sure I'm getting the right product to the customer, building that trust? And then let's just roll you over that hill because we know that when we get you that quote, it's going to be what you're looking for, or we can fail quickly on that front. Uh I thought that was interesting. I was thinking about it, you know, nowadays, when was the last time you, you took more than five minutes to order food online? <laughs> and so if you go and you price out your dinner and the, it's too expensive, you quickly can readjust or anything like that. When these processes take forever, you know, and they're expensive, that back and forth taking that long, just is longer for you to close that business. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had stories in the past where we actually lost customers because of that, you know, this, uh, that back and forth, you know, here's what I'm looking for. Help me out. And the commercial teams back to Lawrence's example, they would feed that information to someone else. They'd come back with a quote, but you know, the customer looks at it and says, well, you missed this, this, and this, that won't quite work. And finally, the customer said, look, I can actually have an order and receive the part by the time you guys get me a final quote and you know, you see, you're right. That timeliness uh, that, that becomes very critical as well. So uh, the more we can simplify this process, I think Liz used the word intuitive early earlier, make it intuitive for the customer uh, to, to select the right parameters to enable them to get the right product they need uh, to streamline that process. Uh, it, 
you know, it, it helps retention. Yeah, Tom, you know, a good point about this too is, is in, in prior, let's say prior decades, um, this, this, this process we've just talked about from the initiation of a deal through the, through the sales order and manufacture, um, it often entailed a number of different systems, right? Because, well, I needed a different system for that first contact with the customer. And then I needed a different system for, you know, the, the sales quoting. And then I needed a different system to take the order. And then I needed a, a different system to manufacture the order. And, you know, in stringing these together, the more complex, that's already a complex process. When you introduce complex products and then systems of products and, you know, services along with that and so forth, it becomes daunting. And this is really where the, you know, the vision of one model through the enterprise to where we can actually define, start with a core configure definition of the products and services, and then leverage that in every application that faces, you know, starting with the commerce system through the, through your say sales or CPQ systems, CRM systems, ERP systems, when this is possible, it, be, it opens up this world of opportunity to really serve the customer at a level that's not been possible before. Mm-hmm. I, I think if we take the, the technologies out of that, which are impossible to do, of course, but um, <laughs> as we, we go through that and you look at, this is how these manufacturers and um, various organizations have operated for a long time. They've been ingrained in, in those processes. Just taking and revisiting and kind of automating and streamlining some of these things, the main two benefits outside of, yes, we're going to try and drive up the sales and, and get those really gets down to what am I doing from an efficiency and a process perspective, right? I'm, I'm tapping into the systems. How am I going to drive that from a business value? And then you're really starting to reduce the air proneness that happens with the swivel yeah. chair across everything you were doing just operationally, that it allows the accuracy to meet those expectations better and sooner. Um, and I think as soon as you go down that path, then the end result is where you're starting to drive the growth and see um, kind of the productivity and, and volume increases that you're looking for from a, a sales production and output perspective. Right. Yeah, I think Liz, that's a great point, right? The, those And Tom, you hit on it also, right? That this The things that drive customer dissatisfaction processes that take too long, processes that are error prone. You, you waited so long and then you got, and then, and then we got the product and it was wrong. <laughs> it's like, it, if you can make it quick, quick to get the accurate quote, you deliver an accurate order that drives customer loyalty. Yeah. yeah. And it is daunting. I think that's the word Lawrence used a couple minutes ago. Folks look at this and you've got disparate systems. You have a lot of manual processes uh, these systems are not integrated, you know, back to the core ERP, for example, which then leads to the poor data quality, inconsistencies in the data. Uh, you know, people developed uh, workarounds and shortcuts in the process. And, and I, you know, I think it's very easy to look at that and say, wow, yeah, this is a mountain I want to climb right now. But the benefits are huge. And uh, but but it is daunting. And I think that's why it, we've gotten to this point or what's kind of prevented us from um, materializing this as much as possible over the last you know, decade, as we've been talking through this, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was daunting, but it was across your internal operational. How do you get the change management of your organization? It was across the technical. It was across kind of the sales adoption and, and the openness to digital. I think we're starting to see the shifts. I think the technology is caught up to enable and allow for more of that spring line interaction, um, right. which 
ultimately is is the times now and, and now you get the opportunity to start to, to really tap into it. Yeah, I know, Liz, like like you said, over the past decade as, and even before that, as we looked at this and said, wow, what if we could, you know, understanding that business driver, those business needs and what really satisfies the customers. We've always asked this, what if, what if we could do it like this? What if we could leverage this across, you know, front to back? What if we could, what if we, what if, what if? And it's, that's, it's very timely now because the what if is actually becoming true. And I think that there's been, you know, both in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the customer world, as well as the sort of the provider world, the consulting world, there's been this, uh, that's just not, that's a problem that can't be solved. And it's like, but that problem is being solved. And I think it's time for customers, you know, to really take a look at this again. If this, if this seemed daunting or impossible in the past, intractable, pick your, pick your adjective. Uh, what's possible now is vastly different than what was possible even maybe two or three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can run with that a little bit further, what, what you guys started there, um, you know, pre-pandemic, let, let's face it, uh, a lot of companies were you're fighting for resources and funding, whether it's ERP, if you're an SAP shop, you're looking at an S4 upgrade. Folks were so focused on industry 4.0, CRM, yeah. enabling remote work, the yeah. cloud, analytics, and they saw this daunting task of how do I fix this customer front end? But now with the pandemic, it's, it's a necessity because your commercial teams may not be able to go on site to help a customer. Your technical support teams, your services team get, can't get there. And if you don't have those capabilities uh, with a digital front end, you know, those customers will go elsewhere. So I, I think that combined also, I think, Lawrence, you hit on it. The capabilities may not have been there. Well, the capabilities, the technology is catching up. I think what Liz yeah. said. Now you have technology that's capable. You've got a burning platform where my customers expect this and folks have to figure out how do they carve out resources, funding to focus on this amongst everything else that they're trying to, to juggle. In addition to running the business, let's not forget we have businesses to run too. Yeah, that great point, Tom. And it's like, I think there was a belief before the pandemic, well, we've got time to solve this problem, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think yep. you just outlined that the time is running, quickly running out because yep. others will solve this. I mean, the pandemic has shown what's possible. And like we said, the technology is now there. And if you think you've got another 10 years to get this problem solved, I wish you luck. <laughs> yeah, you may not be around to solve it. <laughs> that is correct. I think it highlighted the operating models where sales were struggling with a lot of these organizations to begin with, um, not being able to have the face-to-face -to, -face to drive that. The ones that couldn't adapt quickly and start to adjust their business and how they operated both in um, production lines all the way through into how they were engaging and selling. That was the piece that um, where you've seen success and, and a lot of drivers and across industry, right? I, I think the ones where we've seen there have been many organizations that have thrived as they've been able to pivot and adapt. And I think that's the agility that underpins how you need to broach and, and look at this in a complex selling model. How do we break that apart and start to make that tangible and accessible to um, steps forward that are going to benefit both your sales teams as well as your customers. Yeah. I, I, and I'm curious, Tom, you mentioned uh, there's this web of things that, that are in front of you that you have to try to sort through. So how would you advise starting to sort through that? Because I, I think that's, you know, you talked about the art of the possible now, 
There's also that element of there's so many things that are possible. How do you take a step back and say, you know, what should we be doing right now? Right. Yeah. And that's tough. I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, juggling and balancing priorities, uh, especially if there's budgetary constraints, uh, it it is a challenge. But, uh, you know, I really think this discussion needs to be part of a firm's enterprise strategy. This needs to be a C-suite conversation is, you know, when I look out in, in today and the future, how do my customers wish to be served? How do I want to engage with my customers? And, and let's, it starts with the customer. They will tell you, they define value. So it starts there, but this can't be, you know, an IT thing. It just can't be a commercial team. I, I think uh, it's been touched on earlier in the conversation. This is cross-functional. It's, it's commercial, it's manufacturing, engineering, inside sales, customer service, IT, you, you name it. But um, it needs to be at the highest levels. And I think, uh, you know, going back, uh, you know, we've used the term, the art of the possible. Now that it is possible, let's, let's begin to demonstrate and show people this is what it could look like. And, you know, just let them uh, uh, really understand it. And, and then if it's part of the strategic discussion, now you've got the senior level support and these discussions around priorities and timing and phasing become much easier. Yeah, great point, Tom. You know, these also, these these endeavors used to be a leap of faith also, right? I mean, I fully agree that's where it starts. And, you know, the problem would be, again, the time, like, so the executive suite wants to see what's possible, but it's like, well, give us six to nine months to 12 months, and then we can show you what this is going to look like. And that, that the speed, that's just too slow, right? The speed now in which you could see, you could start to get an idea about these concepts and start to see a day in the life. This has been reduced from months to weeks or in some cases, even days to just get the initial read on this. And, and, and companies working in a very agile way, they can, they can now see, they can have cycles of learning and cycles of trying to say, does this make sense? Does this work? And so forth. And just the, the way that we solution these problems now is, is vastly different than what we did, say, a decade or two decades ago. Yeah. And if there's opportunities to launch you know, a, a controlled proof of concept, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let people see it. I, I mean, my experience has been, even with the naysayers, if you can demonstrate these capabilities mm-hmm. in a POC, all of a sudden people say, wow, how do I get me some of that? You know, I'm hearing nothing but good things from this person's customers. And I see their numbers going up and their margins expanding. What were they doing differently? How, how do I get that? And that really helps to ignite the fuse and, and then drive that change mindset as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's critical, Tom, right? When you can take um, what your conflicting views internally were, right? Because everyone kind of has their own view of how we work today and what's going to be needed or expected from customers. And as you go through, what does that mean as we engage digitally? Each of those functions are changing. So the sooner you can break down into a small problem, what is this? Test that and take it outside of those groups and stakeholders, their proof and, and get that customer direct feedback and say, does this resonate? Does this work? Are we on the right path before you start making those mass investments? It helps validate the course that you're on before you kind of go and and refactor that. And you can start small. I I think that that's the one thing with where technology and these processes are is we don't have to boil the ocean and, and do it all at once. We can pick something such as let's look at just the quoting process. How are we engaging there? Let's look at just how we're manifesting those configurations and and breaking down these complex engineering models into a 
a simpler consumable format for customers, right? Like let's take one of those for just the build to order items and see how that we would engage, how they validate that and then kind of bring that back around. So I think that there's so much that um, we're allowing to decouple and actually validate that through the business to make sure that it's justifiable um, that has kind of helped us um, resonate and, and get some traction with a lot of organizations quickly. Yeah. And if I could expand on something you said there, uh, bring it back around to this whole notion of digital transformation. You mentioned process several times, and that's part of the educational process I, I discovered as well. People equate digital to IT and systems and technology. When, you know, really looking at things digitally is what should my processes look like? What are, what does my customer expect? How do they want me to engage? Digital is, then you, digital is not just the technology. The technology becomes the enabler. Once you define the business model, the process. So it really is breaking it down back to the basics of what, what's the process? What should it look like? What are the outcomes I'm trying to drive? And then I hate to say the technology is the easy part, but you know, the technology becomes the enabler. But if you try to plug in the technology and jump right there, first thing, you're going to miss the boat and you will be dissatisfied with the outcome. Right. The sooner you can align the vision, take your specific objectives to align to what the initiatives are, then you get your KPIs and say, here's what we need to track towards. How do we solve this one piece? Tackle that and then move on to the next. And it helps self-fund your entire initiative that way when you can start to show results quickly and keep the business and executives engaged. Yeah, and that's a great point. So next time you're in the uh, the boardroom or the C-suite trying to talk about priorities and funding, you can say, look, we're, we're self-funding. So yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Make that a conversation a little bit easier. And yes, uh, they're always fun to begin with, right? Exactly. That's part, and and it actually prompted the idea with you were mentioning. You know, the the customers will tell you the process there. Is there a possibility of, especially with this using VC models, taking things too far of, uh, you know, making it bring too much options and complication to the sales and then customer? Because, you know, like you mentioned, some businesses, it might not make sense to, uh, you know, expose everything. How, how do you go about deciding what's what's right there? And, and can you, uh, you know, do this wrong, yeah. I guess, would be a good question. You know, the adage, um, less is more, is so true in the VC world. Really, the Pareto principle, you know, applies here. You should be trying to solve the bulk of your commerce that goes through of a configurable product through the configurator. You know, typically 80 to 90%. If you can automate that part of the, of the commerce, you know, of the, of the orders and quotes that you get, then you can leave the 10 to 20% of the really complex one-off, you know, engineer to order type things, you can leave those for your experts to, to, to take where the configurator sort of leaves off and then you complete it. So, you know, this, this, um, this desire by some companies to try to achieve a 100% configurator for everything we could ever possibly do or ever th- anything we've ever possibly done, that is going way too far. It's probably going like, twice too far. It's, it's really, there's a sweet spot and it's not always easy to know where that sweet spot is, but you, you know, you need to continually challenge yourselves that, you know, this tool is for the mainstream demand and fulfillment and not everything we could possibly do. Uh, um, I have answer slightly differently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
So I, I think that absolutely organizations can go too far. Lawrence, you and I have spent, um, I feel like years talking about this where yes. <laughs> you can uh, go down that path. What, what I would say is start with what Lawrence is describing around the standard or the, the 80, 20 rule as much as possible. We, we do what we can there where we get into the, the outliers, don't force it into a configurator, don't force it into VC, but we can start to leverage engagement with our sales teams or our technical experts at these companies um, and start more of a collaborative discussion, right? So I, I think it's, yes, it's not forcing it into a configurator, but we can still look at how do we digitize, how do we drive that to get some of the efficiencies and start to capture where that does need so that your customers are leading you to how much yeah. do they even want to engage? How much are they going down yeah. that path as you look at the market opportunities for growth of your organization? Um, but I, I think that that's where we've seen more expansion when dealing with a lot of manufacturing and, and other mm -hmm. organizations as well is the concept of what I, I kind of call collaboration back and forth with those technical users. How do we pull that in? How do we yeah. start that process? And it, it's driving the same operational efficiencies to um, pull that in and, and get that entire life cycle as far as data. That's one thing we haven't talked about is by starting to combine both the um, customer and the sales teams and more digital engagement, you're capturing all of that, that you get insights beginning to end from that initial lead all the way through loyalty of where mm -hmm. that engagement is. So you can start to optimize that as a holistic view as well. Yeah. And Liz, we're probably thinking more like uh, more alike about this than than not alike because it's not really a binary thing like because there's there's a there's a common conception that well if i can't do it a hundred percent in the configurator then i have to do it 100 percent manually and that's not really the case what you do is you take it as far as you can or should in the configurator let's say we're at the 90 percent, but then i do run into a special request and this is where rather than trying to you know, anticipate and predefine everything for that. We run into a say, when we get into this situation, it's like, then let's get into the collaborative discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Give me the, give me the, what you can, but then for the, for the last say 10%, let's get into that collaborative discussion and talk about what we could do, but not try to predefine it per se. Agreed. We usually do, but I agree. Thanks again to Tom, Lawrence, and Liz for joining us for this two-part series. It was a great conversation. I hope you got a lot out of it as well. Be sure to check out the show notes so you can find links to connect with Tom, Lawrence, and Liz, as well as find helpful resources that we either discussed or could be great reading to go along with this conversation. Be aware we are having a summer hiatus coming up in the June region, but we still got plenty of episodes coming out until then. So be sure to subscribe so you can get those new episodes popping up in your feed as soon as they're released. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the future of customer engagement at Experience Podcast. We'll see you next time.